Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. There's an interesting article I read at uh, theatlantic.com yesterday with the headline, Don't Believe the COVID-19 Models, That's Not What They're For. And it, it's, it's an interesting overview of, of what we make of all of these different projections because they are valuable, but maybe we, as in us laymen, members of the general public, uh, misunderstand them. So there's certainly been a lot of talk this week about modeling and projections around COVID-19 and what kind of a trajectory we're on, where things stand, say, in two weeks from now or two months from now. And there's a range of different scenarios. And so these models aren't meant to be a prediction, but they are very valuable, I think, in understanding how we're doing and, and what impact certain decisions are going to have. A real interesting example of this has been some of the modeling done by Imperial College in the UK. And and they had some pretty stark projections for what uh, this outbreak could look like without public health interventions. Now, recently, one of the people involved in all of that uh, had uh, presented his his view that maybe the UK was was well positioned to to handle the peak of this, that they'd have the uh, ER and, and ventilator capacity. And it was reported by a lot of people that, well, now this guy from Imperial College, he's changed his mind. He's thrown out his, his projections. He's reverse course. But that's not the case, obviously. If you say, this is what things look like if we do X, if we do Y, things look differently. And so, obviously, depending on what you're putting into the model, you're going to get different results. So as we digest some of the information that's being put out by the Ontario government, we're going to get more from the Alberta government as well. It is something to keep in mind. But at the same time, we do want to know where things are going and whether we're on the right track. So how do we balance all of that? Joining us to talk more about all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon, Tyler Williamson, uh, who's an associate professor of biostatistics at the University of Calgary's Community Health Sciences Department. Tyler, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Let me get your thoughts, uh, first of all, just kind of more general view here of why, why modeling is so important, uh, but, but what people need to understand about it. Yeah, thanks very much. appreciate that. I thought you had some really thoughtful comments that, uh, about why this, why this is important. I think that it's the, it's the million dollar, maybe billion or trillion dollar question right now is yeah. how long is it going to last? Uh, where is it going to peak? Um, you know, what's the, what's, the, what's the peak of the curve going to look like? Um, the the real challenge is is that uh, uh, that we're projecting way into the future based on very limited information, and uh, it's like saying on the third day of the NHL season, this is who's going to win the cup, right. and uh, and you know three games in, we might have a good idea of who's looking good, and then you know go go forward another week, and things flipped entirely upside down, right? So that's why it's so difficult. It is. And, and there's a lot that has to go into any sort of modeling. I mean, in terms of what we know about the virus itself, um, you know, 
and and we're still learning about the virus, which makes it yeah. more challenging. But obviously, to understand uh, you know different dynamics with regard to to public health initiatives and how the public responds, and it, it seems like there, there's a lot that needs to be factored in. How challenging is it to do good modeling with something like this? Yeah, it's it's incredibly challenging. Um, uh, I mean, it's uh, you know you try and you try and use information. You look in the rearview mirror and see you know uh, or countries that have gone before us and. Uh, and their experience, and you try and you know learn from them a little bit to try and try and understand things like how long is a person, um, you know, how long is a person likely to have the symptoms? How long are they potentially going to to you know uh, infect other people? Uh, how many people might they infect? Um, you know, what proportion of people might need hospitalization? What proportion of people might need more serious interventions? Um, you know, there. And the best we've got for many of those things is to look around the world and see what's happening. Um, you know, as as our experience isn't unfolding in the province, um, we're starting to get a better and better handle on what's happening here. Um, but uh, but as you can appreciate, you know, the like I said, it's it's early days, and trying to predict predict what's going to happen in the coming weeks is is a really big challenge. It is, but there is a need for it. I mean, we, we do need to have a, an idea of where we're going because we can look at the numbers today and there's X number of people in hospital, X number of people who are in ICU, and this is how many beds we have, this is how many ventilators we have, et cetera. So we can measure the reality of today, but to anticipate what we're going to need in a week or two weeks or three weeks, we, we do need to have some 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 kind of projecting, right? Some kind of modeling to give us an indication of what we might be facing. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and uh, and those models change every day. So uh, you're you're abs- like the best the decisions about what's going to happen in the next week. Uh, I mean, we we've heard we've heard from the highest levels of the province that uh, that next week we're gonna we're gonna have some of that information released publicly, which I think is great. Um, we'll help understand kind of what based on what we know on that day, what we think the future is going to look like. Um, and then tomorrow, or the, or the next day, excuse me, the, uh, that may change a little bit. Um, but, uh, but those models are updated constantly. And I think one of, the, one of the really good things that's happened as a result of this, you know, I'm at the university, I'm a professor there, I, I do big data work all the time, um, is, uh, is Alberta Health Services and Alberta Health uh, have engaged some of the best minds around the province on these issues uh, to work together so that we're trying to come together and come up with the best predictions and and everybody gets their opportunity to say, you know, have we thought about it from this angle and uh, sort of, you know, draw on the wisdom of the experts to project as best we can into the future. Yeah, and it's important to point out, too, yeah, I think Alberta Health Services, I mean, in terms of, of just transparency, the amount of data they're releasing, and then, as you say, the, the, the way they're, they're reaching out to collaborate, I, I, to me, it seems like it's, it's, it's been really, um, I, I think, certainly they deserve a lot of credit, I think is what I'm trying to say, uh, yeah. for how they've communicated a lot of this to the public, and as you say, then the efforts they're trying to make in, in collecting this data. So that, that's, that's been, I, I think, maybe reassuring, I guess, is a good way. Yeah, to I would. Yeah, I would agree completely, and I would I would also add that I think they've done a an absolutely incredible job of preparing for worst case scenario. You know, yeah. I, I I worry that um, you know we're going to get models that are going to range from worst case scenario projections to to best case scenario projections. And I think if we look around the world, you know, uh, many would hold up Italy as a worst case scenario uh, type of circumstance, and 
Uh, and so, you know, Alberta Health Services is trying to prepare just in case an, uh, an Italy situation happens, when in reality, we'll probably fall far below that. And so uh, I think they've done an amazing job of, of opening up bed capacity and finding ways within the system to try and do this. Because that's, that's the dance that we're all in right now is, is trying to not overwhelm the health system because that's, you know, the, the disease is bad. But as we've learned from Italy, it's, um, you know, the, the hardest decisions come when, uh, when we start to put the system at capacity and we start thinking about, um, you know, what happens if we don't have enough ventilators for patients that need them. I mean, those are horrible decisions to have to make. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, the, the the prospect of people who might have been saved that we couldn't save them or people that might have needed emergency care for some other reason that just couldn't because the system's overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of a crisis can exacerbate the problem, and that's obviously what, what we're trying to avoid here. So it does seem like we're taking the approach of sort of plan for the worst but hope for the best, which which mm-hmm. seems like, a, I think, a good way of uh, of looking at it. Um but I mean, obviously, then that that entails though taking those steps, right? To to look at what worst case scenario could be, and then ensuring that that we're we're able to to deal with it if it happens, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I, you know, I think that uh, I'm really optimistic about the Alberta situation. I mean, I think we've had outstanding le- leadership from Dina Hinshaw. Um, uh, she's done an amazing job navigating us through this this you know unprecedented time. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I mean, we were we were able to react quickly and, um, you know, she was able to make some great recommendations uh, fairly early on for our circumstance. And um, I, I, I was very, very pleased with those things out of the gate. And I think that that has had, um, you know, impact for our, uh, for flattening our curve, um, as we'll we'll see in the coming weeks and days. And that's the thing, too, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we don't want people to get complacent and, and we don't want people to be needlessly pessimistic or, or even get to the point of panic. So when we convey best case and worst case scenarios, I mean, there, there is kind of that risk, right, that people are going to pick up on one or the other. How, how best to convey that to people, do you think, so that we understand, look, we're talking about a range of scenarios that could range from this all the way up to that, but that, that none are really meant as predictions either. Yeah, thanks. Great question, Rob. That's, you know, that that's a... It, you know, if you figure it out, please come and tell me. I mean, I've got some ideas, but you know, it's uh, that's a challenging thing to to convey to everyone the the uncertainty around these predictions that are coming forward without um, without completely uh, you know discrediting the because they do have value. Um, so it, it's a it's a hard line or a fine line to to walk there as you try and balance between the two of them. The reality is we're uncertain, um, but based on what we know today. This is what we think might happen tomorrow, and that's kind of the the attitude that I take. You know, I have a ninety year old grandmother, and so she's the person that I think about when I try to explain these things. And you know, if I can explain it to her successfully, then I think I've been uh, that I've been successful in conveying it to a wide audience. Mm-hmm. At some point, and I don't know when it is, but at some point we'll we'll get over the worst of this, and we'll start to see daily new cases decline, and that'll be, I suppose, relatively easy to. Uh, to to measure and and to comprehend, but in the meantime, as as cases will continue to increase, I think we understand that. Um, obviously, the amount of time that that we see doubling, you know, the rate of hospitalization increases. The, these factors will give us a, a better understanding of, I guess, how things are progressing. What what are you going to be watching for then in the coming days and weeks? Uh, thanks for asking that question. I think that uh, one of the things that I'm going to be paying attention to, one of the reasons why the modeling is so difficult. 
Uh, I mean, we have we have 968 cases reported in the province, uh, if my recollection is right from what Dina reported last night. Uh, and I, I think of those, 100 and, and change, seven or eight, are community transmission. Mm-hmm. The models that are projecting into the future are based on the idea that the disease will spread throughout the community. Um, and so I'm going to be paying close attention to to how uh, how many of the cases that are newly reported are community transmission transmission cases. Uh, that's, I think, where we as a society can offer real value to stopping this pandemic is, you know, uh, if we can stop or really limit community transmission, then we are doing our part as Albertans to try and to try and bend the curve down. Um, and so, of, like I said, you know, uh, we're less than 15% of them are community transmission. That's, that's not uncommon um, for a type of thing like this, but we'll see how that grows. And if we can keep that down, that means that we're, you know, we're doing a good job of, uh, of our part. All right. Well, something else to keep an eye on. We'll leave it there. Uh, Tyler, thanks for your insight on all of this. Really appreciate you making some time for us here today. Thanks, Rob. Take care. You as well. Uh, that is Tyler Williamson, Associate Professor of Biostatistics at the University of Calgary's Community Health Sciences Department. Uh, been involved in, in doing a lot of modeling himself uh, on, on all of this. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, in collaboration with Alberta Health Services, too, which is encouraging that they're reaching out uh, to gather the best minds and the most uh, data that they can to really get a sense of where we're going. So it is kind of what might seem like a paradox where ignore the models, but pay close attention to the models. Uh, that they're not going to be predictions necessarily, and that's not what they're intended to do. But you want to have a range of scenarios. You want to try to understand as best you can, what does best case scenario look like? What does worst case scenario look like? And and then you try to plan accordingly. All right, Plan for the worst and, and hope for the best. And and I think, you know, and, and credit to the Alberta government and Alberta Health Services, that's that's certainly what they're doing. We've done a good job so far. Alberta did seem prepared in terms of certainly the amount of testing we had available, and we've been real leaders when it comes to testing, and that's encouraging, and ensuring that we have the, the capacity to deal with this. But you don't want to get complacent. We can't take that for granted. Our number here, 403-974-8255, is our number, 974-TALK. Back with more right after this. Get online and get your tickets. Sue DL with you, reminding you to get your tickets today for the Foothills Hospital Home Lottery. The bonus prize deadline is midnight tonight. That gets you in to win the 2020 BMW Z4 convertible. It is a sexy machine. Imagine you behind the wheel, the wind in your hair, the roar of the engine. It is spectacular, and you would look good behind the wheel. I see it right now. And all you have to do is get online and get your tickets. If you don't want the car, that's okay. You can take $100,000 cash instead. Or you go online and take a virtual tour of what could be your new home. $2.6 million grand prize show home down in southeast Cranston. There's also Alberta's biggest early bird prize, a $1.1 million dollar condo penthouse condo in the heart of canmore plus twenty five thousand dollars cash it's spectacular and of course more than four thousand prizes to be won overall and your ticket money supports surgical technology at the foothills medical center it's a trauma center and one of the biggest hospitals in canada we need your help make it happen today get your tickets before midnight tonight foothills hospital home lottery.com Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.